All right, take out your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Stay standing, stay standing as we read God's Word. So last week we looked at an insider having an encounter with Jesus. That was Nicodemus learning what it means to be born again. Today we look at what you might call an outsider, an immoral Samaritan woman who also had an encounter with Jesus. Aren't you glad today that Jesus is willing to encounter anybody? Whether you think you're on the inside or know you're on the outside, <laughs> did you get that? Whether you think you're on the inside or know you're on the outside, Jesus wants you to encounter him. And our heart throughout this whole series is that wherever you're at spiritually, you may be far from God, you may be distant from God, you may have a ton of questions and you're not yet a believer, or you may have followed Jesus for years. Our prayer is that through this series, we'll have fresh revelations of Jesus, thus fresh encounters with him. And today we're seeing a woman in Samaria at the well, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, he didn't actually have to, physically, but we're going to learn why he had to spiritually. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. By the way, you can go to that very site today. It's still there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now that was noon in the heat of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. This Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, say gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Say living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Hallelujah. Woo, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Boy, do we need that today. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Then Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right. In saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. By the way, every time the word hour is used in the Gospel of John, it's referring to the cross. In the ultimate glorification of who Jesus is. 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. God, thank you for this awesome encounter that we get a glimpse into. Would you bring revelation today into each of our lives that we might encounter you, Jesus, as our living water. Just invite the Holy Spirit now to speak to you. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Say it out loud. Holy Spirit, speak to me. Father, now we commit this time to you. Would you anoint it by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we are going to learn that Jesus is the only one who can ultimately satisfy you. <laughs> That's it. You can go home now. Now we're going to flesh this out a little more than that, but the, the essence of today's message is that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only one who can satisfy you and quench your thirst. Gatorade, a number of years ago, their ad was the thirst quencher. Y'all remember that? In other words, they were saying, we, this drink will quench your thirst in a way that other beverages won't. Jesus is saying, I'm the thirst quencher. I can satisfy your thirst, your longings, those deep things in your heart that you long for. Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy and meet those needs. We go to all other things, don't we? We try all kinds of other things to satisfy us, and they all leave us wanting or needing more. I don't know about you, but, but with all the devices we have today, <laughs> whether it's a smartphone or whether it's a Kindle or whether it's an iPad or whether it's a charger of your iPhone or whether it's the headlamp that you want to wear to light things at night if you live out in the country, they all have different plugins. Have you noticed that? I think it's a conspiracy of some other country, maybe. I don't know, just to sell more things. But if you don't have the right one to plug into, it won't charge the device you're wanting to charge. And there's all kinds of different hookups, even the ones that go in your car. And here's the bottom line. And here's what I want to ask you. And here's what I believe Jesus was after with the woman of the well. What are you plugging into to give you life? What are you plugging into to charge your spirit? What are you plugging into to give you meaning and purpose? Because if you're plugging into anything other than Jesus, ultimately it will leave you unfulfilled, uncharged, and you'll be left wanting and needing more. You need another relationship. You need more sex. You need more achievement. You need more money. You need more status. You need more likes on your, fa on your social media post. Hello. There's only one, the one who knows you the deepest, loves you the most, created you, that is Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can ultimately satisfy and quench 
your deep inner thirst. Now, if you're not a believer today, Jesus invites you, as he invited this woman, to drink from the living water. If you are a believer today, let's be honest, we go in and out of this in our sanctification journey, right? There may be things that I tend to get life from 20 years ago, no longer do I even go to those things. They're not even tempting. But now, as a 62-year-old, I might be tempted to get life from something that I didn't realize I might be struggling with at 62. Parents often struggle getting their life from their kids. And if their kids don't turn out successful, then all of a sudden their identity is challenged. The guy who is on the achievement ropes and the, and the climb up the ladder of success, he's, he's just graduated from college and got a great job, but he's got to just climb it up and climb it up and get the raise and get the promotion. That's where he's getting life. And all of us struggle with this in some way or another. And I've learned that many times God will break us in order to lead us to him being the ultimate thirst quencher. For me, initially, it was going through a broken engagement. I didn't realize I was getting my life from this woman, but I'm telling you, it challenged me to the core. Was Jesus enough? Even if this relationship didn't work out, even if this breakup was permanent, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough if the church is not growing? Is Jesus enough if, if I'm not popular? Is Jesus enough if the bank account is dwindling? Those are the kind of questions that this passage challenges us with. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to first of all talk about the background and why it's important to understand that in understanding more what's going on with this Samaritan woman. Then we're going to again come right back to what I just talked about, the central truth. Jesus is the only one who can meet our deepest needs. And then at the end, I'm going to make some parallels for how to minister to people that we tend to keep at arm's length. So that'll be very practical. So let's start with the background. Samaritans were very much looked down upon by Jews. What happened was that because of the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria, they had intermarried with these foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religion. So Samaritans were universally despised by Jews because they weren't full believers in the sense of believing in all the Old Testament and embracing the true God. There was like a mixture of some aspects of Judaism but a lot of idolatry. Samaritans were seen as ethnically and spiritually impure. Furthermore, you have a woman here. Women were regarded as inferior by many in that culture. She had been in five failed marriages. And the, woman, the man she was living with was not her husband. She is going during the middle of the day, which was not the typical time that women would draw water. Women would go to the well in the morning when it was cool so they'd have water for the rest of the day. Probably she's going at noon because of a lot of rejection and shame that she was experiencing. So the bottom line was she had a lot of things going against her ethnically, religiously, morally, socially, and I would even add to that, emotionally. Think of all the pain and disappointment that she probably experienced and that many today experienced in failed relationships, especially failed marriages. I'll tell you what, I've learned as a pastor, breakups and divorce 
is one of the most painful things in all of life. It's often worse than a death because the person is still alive to remind you of the rejection and the failure. And some of you can relate to that. If there's kids in the picture, then that's, that comes with a whole nother complicated mix-up. You may get a reprieve for a while only to have something else come up that just brings up all the pain and hurt. And here's where this woman is. She has so much going against her. She thinks it's just another day of pain and hurt and rejection and she shows up at this well and she has an encounter with Jesus. <laughs> she had everything going against her but Jesus. But Jesus reached out. But Jesus didn't keep her at arm's length. But Jesus showed her compassion and love. But Jesus offered her a solution. Aren't you glad today for the but Jesuses? No matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter where you come from, no matter how much pain might be in your life, no matter how many things that are maybe working against you, there's the but Jesus. He looks beyond that. I'm so glad he does. So glad he's willing to touch a woman that maybe nobody else was willing to engage with. Even the disciples, when they came back, were shocked that he would do this. His disciples of all people, shocked that he's willing to engage with this woman. And I'm telling you, he's willing to engage with you. He's willing to, for you to encounter him. No matter what your background, you may not feel like you are worthy. Jesus says, you can taste and see that I am good. He sees your heart today. That's the bottom line. I love that about God. And I don't know, those of you that are watching The Chosen, one of my favorite episodes is the one where he deals with this woman of Samaria. He names the men she's been with. He even tells her that one that you love the most smelled like, what did he say he smelled like? Oranges. Yeah. And I mean, the look on her face if I was ever doing a teaching on the spiritual gifts, the word of knowledge, I would play that scene because he reads her mail and she's like just blown away that he would know those degree of details about her. Well, guess what? He knows every detail about you. He knows every detail about your life. And what's beautiful about it, he doesn't rub her face in her sin. Rather, he exposes her sin to bring her out and to experience him as the ultimate thirst quencher. So here's the progression that he goes through, and I love this. He engages in a conversation that is rooted in compassion. It leads to the conviction of her sin, okay? Because you must be convicted of sin before you repent and go to the cross. And then she gets clarity that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's the answer. And what I love about this, it is, it's the perfect balance of truth and grace. One of our highest values here as a church is to be a church of truth and grace. Not just grace and no truth, and not just truth, no grace. We want to be about truth and grace. Jesus does that perfectly here. He starts with grace, accepting her where she's at, engaging in a compassionate conversation, relating to her on her level, and then he moves it to truth. Go call your husband. Why did he ask that? Because he wanted her to realize what he already knew. God already knows your sin. God already knows your struggles. God already knows your five husbands, figuratively. He wants you to see what he already knows so that you will realize where you've been looking for life in all the wrong places, 
so that he might direct you to the true source. Amen? All right, so let's start with the conversation that he has. And I love this because in verse 4, when it says he had to go through Samaria, he didn't have to go through Samaria physically. Jews would find all kinds of ways to avoid Samaria. So when it says he had to go through, what's the old King James on this, Shannon? He must needs go through. (laughs) Because he had to spiritually. He didn't have to physically. But he had to spiritually because to reach the Samaritans, you got to go to Samaria. And there are going to be places, Christian, follower of Jesus today, there's going to be places that God's going to call us to go that are not comfortable. There's going to be people we need to reach out to and be intentional to reach out to, and we'll get to that later, that might have all the physical reasons to keep them at arm's length, but God is saying you must needs to go through there. How willing are we to go to the Samaritan-type situations in our lives. In addition, I love the fact that he spoke her language. He reaches her at the level she's at. She's going to a physical well to get physical water because water is the only thing that every living creature needs for survival. That's why the Bible uses water as an illustration in so many examples. And I love the fact that Jesus is always willing to relate to people right where they're at. For her, he uses living water. For the farmer, he used the parable of the sower. For the shepherd, he said, I'm the good shepherd. Uh, For Peter, he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Isn't that awesome? Jesus relates to every person right where they're at, and he can do the same for you. That's why I love the 21-day challenge. I love to give this to non-believers. Are you willing to take the 21-day challenge? You read a chapter of the Gospel of John every day for 21 days. Today, John 1. Tomorrow, John 2. Next day, John 3. Every day, you pray this prayer. God, if you're real, if Jesus is your son, reveal yourself to me, to me in a way I will recognize. Oh, I dare you to do that. If you're an unbeliever, you're watching today, and you're willing to put God to the test, so to speak, if you do this with a sincere heart. That's the key. Okay, it's not one of these, well, God, appear to me physically or I'll never believe. But if you truly in your heart say, God, if you're real, if Jesus is the answer, I really want to know. And I'm willing to follow if you are. Read a chapter of John, pray that prayer, and see what happens. God is willing to meet us where we're at. Secondly, this is all driven by compassion. Jesus saw her heart. He had compassion for her. He knew the pain she must have been in over these failed relationships. How she must have thought, oh, this guy is going to finally meet my need for love. Oh, this man is going to finally love me in the way my heart longs for. Oh, this man is now going to really understand how I'm wired. Failure, 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 failure. You see, somebody once said, God will have things fail that we look to for life because they were never intended to give us life. And so it's actually the severe mercy of God that these relationships had failed because she was seeking to find love in all the wrong places. Then comes the question, go call your husband. And again, it's so that she will see what he already knew Because, beloved, the Bible talks about the law bringing conviction of sin that we might turn to Jesus for forgiveness. If you don't realize you're a sinner, if you don't realize you've been an idolater, if you don't recognize that you've put things before God, then you won't repent of those things. So just know this, and I've said it so many times here, you got to get it. 
God convicts us of sin, not to shame and condemn us in our sin, but to lead us out of the sin to the cross through the awareness of sin. He convicts of sin, not to rub your face in it, to say you're a loser, you're an idiot, you're such a terrible person. No, he convicts of sin that we might see our true heart, and then we go to the cross for the answer and for forgiveness and for new life in him. And that's exactly what happens here because the conviction leads to clarity that he is the answer. He is the Messiah. He is the only one who can ultimately meet your needs at the core level. And so I love the fact, again, that this is just so full of grace and truth. Two books that I have recently read, and I've mentioned one of them before, that I highly commend Messy Grace and Messy Truth. I told some of y'all, I think a few weeks ago, Calum Kaltenbach, the author, at the age of two, his parents divorced, his dad went to the gay lifestyle, and his mother became or was a lesbian and began to live with her lesbian lover. He was raised from the age of two until the end of high school by his mother and her lesbian lover. He was taken to gay pride parades. He was uh, totally, they attempted to indoctrinate, indoctrinate him into that whole uh, lifestyle and belief. 17 years of age, he gets radically converted to Jesus Christ, gets a call to ministry, goes to seminary, and is pastor of a church, and believes the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. During the time in which he got saved, until the time both of his parents died, his mother, I think, just died in February, he was extremely intentional to do exactly what's on the screen, to, engage, to stay in conversation with both of his parents, to have a compassionate heart, to not hold them at arm's length because of their morality or beliefs, but to show the love of Christ, to be just what Jesus was to the Samaritan woman, and through that, both of them came to faith in Christ before they died. But had he just rejected them, and had he allowed his convictions to keep him out of conversation, he wouldn't have been able to be a light for Christ. Very challenging. Very challenging story. Very challenging principles that he shares in this book. Now, it's very interesting what this Samaritan woman does in verse 19, and this so often happens with people. When, when, when the finger of God begins to touch the idols of our life and expose our heart, she gets religious all of a sudden. Did you notice that in verse 19? She tries to divert the conversation. She says, well, where should we worship? Should we worship in Jerusalem or where, you know, where, you know. So she gets, all of a sudden, she gets real spiritual and religious to avoid seeing her heart. Maybe you've done that. This week we made the last videos for the, all the videos we're doing for my new book, Grow Up. Two of the chapters in my new book on apologetics, Rich Saplita co-authored with me. And so he's involved in these videos, and one of the things that he reminded me in these videos was that when he was an atheist, and a pretty hardcore atheist, and we began to meet to discuss the Christianity and the Bible and Jesus, he had some major questions. He, he had questions specifically about evolution creation and about how could a good God send people to hell. See, what he was doing there was he was trying, he admits, he was trying to divert. He was trying to use those as a smokescreen. And I said to him, Rich, those are important questions. And there are answers. And we'll get to that eventually. 
but let's stay focused on Jesus. And he said that was huge because it made him face the central bullseye of life in Christianity, and that is the person of Jesus and whether or not he rose from the dead. And so he focused on Jesus, and he discovered the evidence was strongly in favor of Christ literally rising from the dead, and he gave his heart and life to Christ. And then he began to address some of the other questions, and he said it was interesting because his whole perspective on those other issues got greater clarity when he first focused on Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He doesn't let this woman divert by just talking about religious or spiritual things and to try to put that as, as a cover. Instead, he brought it right back to himself in the issue that he is the Messiah, the clarity of the issue. And it reminds me of Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician. He said there's a God-shaped vacuum. This is awesome. In the heart of every man or person. It cannot be satisfied by any created thing. But only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped vacuum in your heart. There's a longing for unconditional love in your heart. There's a longing for unconditional acceptance in your heart. And that can only be filled, only be met by your creator, Jesus Christ. And you're yielding to him being in control. Jesus is the ultimate thirst quencher. Amen? And so this is where we go from Jesus just being our way and our truth to actually being our life. See, many people know Jesus as the way and the truth. Do you know him as your life? And again, we go in and out of this. There's seasons when you're content, you're experiencing Christ as your all in all, and then something will come up that will challenge this. And so we recognize that this is a journey. This woman had been looking for love in all the wrong places. And we tend to do the same today. We look for love and fulfillment in sex, money, materialism, hobbies, entertainment, vocational success, status, ministry. It can even be ministry. And when those things leave us empty and in pain, then we often try to cover that pain with drugs, alcohol, more sex, or whatever. So I love what Jeremiah does in Jeremiah chapter 2. It says, my people. So this is a cry from God to his people. He says, my people have committed two evils. Notice how the first leads to the second. First, you've forsaken me. In other words, you've stopped coming to me as your chief need meter. And though, though I am the fountain of living water, parallel with this passage, you have hewed out or dug cisterns or wells for yourselves, and I love this phrase here, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So watch here. These broken cisterns that we often dig, it would be when we seek to get life, meaning, purpose, value from things other than God. And what do we discover? We discover that those are leaky vessels. They are not intended to ultimately satisfy. Again, whether it's relationships, money, success, popularity, pleasure, entertainment. These are leaky vessels. They cannot ultimately satisfy you. The only thing that can ultimately satisfy that has no leaks is the vessel, the life, the presence of God, Jesus Christ, personal relationship with him that is growing and dynamic and living. You're getting your life from Christ 
instead of those things that cannot satisfy and that will perpetually be leaky. That's Jeremiah 2. You've dug for yourselves cisterns that hold no water. They leave you wanting because they were never intended to satisfy. Praise God, we have an all-sufficient God, an all-knowing God, an all-powerful God who alone can go into those deep, places of our heart and give us true value and true meaning. And this is why in John chapter 7, I love all these parallels, all these connections. You want to do a fascinating study, do a study of the word water in the gospel of John. We see Jesus being baptized in water. We see Jesus turning water to wine. We see the water of the Word. We see the water of, of, of born of water and the Spirit. Nicodemus last week. Well, then you go to John 7 and Jesus said, If anyone thirst, folks, you've got to have a thirst before you drink. And if there's a thirst in your heart today, that is from God. That is God drawing you to Himself. He says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart. See, he's after your heart. He's after those deep places of your life. Will flow rivers of living water. What a great description. It's rivers. It's continually flowing. It's living water. It's not dead water. It's able to meet you on a daily basis. And then he said, of this he spoke of the Spirit. What does it mean there? Folks, this goes right back to what we learned last week about being born again. When you receive Christ, when you get saved, you don't just get your sins forgiven. You receive the life of God. You receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That Spirit comes inside of you to satisfy you at a deep and lasting level. He comes to meet those deep longings of your heart and to flow out of you. So He comes in you to give you that peace and joy and satisfaction. And then, from that relationship, He flows out of you to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And you look at those and you go, this is not me, this is God. I can't produce this. David's testimony today, the changes in his life, those are because of God living in his heart. And that's the radical transformation that God wants to bring. All right, now I want to shift to what can we learn from this encounter that will help us in ministering to others. Because if you're a follower of Jesus today, God calls us to go to the Samarias of our life and world. So real quickly, here's some principles. Number one, be willing to converse with anyone. We all have people in our lives that we tend to keep at arm's length. It might be a person of a different religion. It might be a person of a different political conviction. Hello. It might be somebody that is in a very immoral lifestyle. It may be a person that is engaging in behavior that makes you sick to your stomach. It may be another SEC fan of a different team. I don't know what it is that may cause you to keep somebody at arm's length. But this passage would teach us that we should be willing to converse with anyone because if we aren't involved in conversations, how can we have an influence for Christ? Hello? Number two, be willing to receive from anyone. He was willing to receive a drink from this woman. Number three, speak their language. 
learn to engage in a way that that person can relate to. I have a friend down the street who is not a believer. He doesn't even believe Jesus existed. And we're involved in regular dialogue. Well, one thing that I've discovered about him, the dude can fix anything. And the dude's garage is filled with about every tool you can imagine. So when I need a tool, I call him. I said, hey, can I borrow this? And I believe in doing that, it keeps us regularly engaged. It also helps him feel needed. And I think that that is good to do with people that aren't believers. Look deeper than their sin. This is huge. Look at their heart. Listen, listen. Why would we expect people who are not followers of Jesus to behave morally? I mean, let's be honest. Don't those of us that are followers of Jesus struggle enough with holiness and morality? Hello? I do. How about you? So why would we expect a non-believer to act like a believer? And the more we understand that I can't expect a person who's not following Jesus to live with the same moral standards that I believe the Bible teaches. And when you start seeing that, you start having a lot more compassion and more of a willingness to look beyond the sin and see their heart. What they need is Jesus. And so if you focus on the morality, if you focus on all these issues, sometimes that can keep you from really getting to their heart. And like with Rich, even, going to his heart and what does he believe and see about Jesus. And that leads to number five, make Jesus the issue. And then number six, and I love this, maintain relationship and communication. I want to give you what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. Go to verse 39. I didn't read this. We're going to look at it now. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Now listen, you don't say that if you've not received forgiveness. Anybody who's still living in shame and condemnation would never say, He told me all that I ever did. (laughs) No, she could say it because now she's received the grace and mercy and forgiveness for all that she ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them And he stayed there two days. That's huge. Many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus was willing to continue in relationship with Samaritans. Now let me just say this before we take a few questions. In the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, the word or the phrase, water of the river of life, is used. In the last chapter, and this is what I'll conclude the service today with, I'm going to use it as the benediction. It's an invitation to come to the water of life. You know what the water of the river of life is in heaven? It's that continuous flow of God that will ultimately satisfy you forever. Praise God. We go in and out of what I've talked about today. We go in and out of getting our life from Jesus. It'll be challenged for the rest of our days to get our ultimate life from Jesus. But praise God if you're a believer in Christ. Your eternal destiny is in heaven where there's no sin, there's no Satan, there's no temptation, and for all eternity you will drink from the water of life and have continuous satisfaction and fulfillment forevermore. Hallelujah. That is our eternal destiny, and that is good news. All right, let's take some questions. 
can raise your hand or text those in. Try to keep it on topic to what we've looked at today. But what questions do you have? All right, right here, Brian. All right, there we go. Uh, I really appreciate this topic. I mean, it feels like it's fundamental to all of Christian life. You really can't do anything until you're first satisfied with Jesus. But it, um, when you try to share it with someone else, Sometimes it feels empty. Sometimes it feels what? Like empty. It's hard empty. to. It's really hard to explain to someone, like what it really means to be satisfied. And I find myself saying, in almost any situation, well, what you really need is to be first satisfied with Jesus. And um, just wondering if you have any, like, challenging or encouraging ways to be able to share that. Yeah. In ways that might actually connect with people. Yeah. Because it almost seems like either patronizing or something. But even but it, at the, in my own heart, I'm saying, no, this is really what I have found to be the answer. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. Number one, and you know this, we all know this, but we need to remind ourselves that only God can change a heart, that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it's not ultimately our job to convince anybody. You know, uh, just what we learned last week with the Nicodemus, the, 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 the Spirit blows where it wishes. You know, and Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So we ultimately can rest in the fact that only God can make the light bulb come on in people's hearts. Um, but secondly, I think the power of the testimony is, is huge. You know, you sharing how you've experienced Christ. You sharing how you've come to contentment and joy in Him. But also to say, look, I'm not perfect. I, I don't always have contentment and joy. But I have discovered that Jesus does meet our needs in a way no one else can. And I think, too, just identifying when, when somebody is struggling, a, a non-believer who's struggling with something, or they've had a broken relationship, or they've just gone through the loss of a job, or the loss of their health, man, those are key times to capitalize. You know, again, don't bruise the fruit by coming on too strong. But, but when people are in pain, that is, I mean, how many of us came to Christ in pain and in need? Most of us. Most people come to Christ because of a tragedy or a difficulty or some kind of a fall on their face or on their back. And so I think when we see friends and neighbors and others that are in struggle, first of all, just show a ton of love and compassion for their pain. Don't go in there and just start being real preachy. But to also say, hey, you know, I don't want to sound preachy to you, but, but I do want to share that there is one who loves you in this pain and can help you. Because Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're a Christian struggling with getting your identity from something else, good question, what are some practical ways to shift back and get that satisfaction from him alone. How can you have him fill that hole if you're in a season where you don't feel his presence strongly? Man, this is a great question. I think, first of all, the admission is the first step. Admitting 
that you have been maybe looking to other sources in a way that you shouldn't, and that God's probably bringing that to your attention for that reason. So you recognize maybe, you know, I've been getting my, trying to get my life from my kids. My kids aren't turning out as much as I had wanted them to in this area. And, and you just repent. I mean, repentance is a daily thing. It's not just to get saved repentance. You repent, and you renew your mind. I think this is huge. You, you acknowledge where you've been trying to get life in a way that's not healthy. You renew your mind about God's ability to satisfy you at a deep level. So the renewing of the mind, replacing lies with truth is huge. And then I would say another thing is just be in relationship with other believers. Somebody else that can help you here. Somebody else that you really admire. And ask them how they've journeyed in, in this portion of their life. Learn from others. Glean from others. Benefit from the collective wisdom that we have within the body of Christ. I think, too, one more thing I might say, and it depends on what you're going to to get your identity, but the degree that it's a pretty big issue that might be generational, then I would say maybe consider some in-depth in or deeper spiritual biblical counseling and prayer because some of these things have their roots and stuff that we really need to go back and look at. It could be wounds in our childhood. It could be generational issues. It could be things that we haven't fully resolved from years ago. And that's why I love the Steps to Freedom by Neil Anderson because it's so thorough in getting back to some of those root causes. All right, anybody else? Maybe one more. Ah, somebody just asked while we're going to this one. I'll do two. The, what role does the Christian community play in the clarity process? And I would just say, man, it is huge. It's huge for support. It's huge for prayer. It's huge, it's huge for wisdom. It's because, man, there's nothing like being vulnerable. When you are willing to be vulnerable with a trusted, godly, mature believer, you'll be amazed at the blessings that come. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 1, bear one another's burdens that you fulfill the law of Christ. And so it's often pride that keeps us just in our little, little shell we need to be willing to be, again, with a trusted, godly person. They're going to hold it confidence. They're not going to go share it with the, you know, the whole church. They're going to keep it to themselves. But a godly, trusted, mature believer, when you are vulnerable and you share pain, you will find that, that just God will bless that. I've seen it so many times in my own life and in others' lives. All right, last one. I have a, uh, I have a friend that, that's very, he's, he's kind of lopsided with the truth and grace thing. And uh, can, you, can you explain some of the problems that can come with, with that, with having too much grace or too much truth? I mean, I, I kind of know the answer already, but I'd like to hear your... Yeah, yeah, great question. And this will be the last one. So worship team, go ahead and come up. Again, I want to commend these two books because they touch on both. And so when you are imbalanced with grace, you can compromise truth. For example... You would say, you know, um, man, you know, all roads lead to God, and you become a universalist. With, it's, I call it compassion gone amok. You may have such compassion for people that, that believe in other faiths, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, you know, and you just maybe you're so loving toward them that you, if you compromise Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, okay, then that is grace out of balance. Okay. At the same time, if somebody is so about truth and so about, um, let's say, a conviction regarding certain, um, even though it's true, you know, uh, 
Marriage, sex, is a beautiful thing created by God. It is only created by God to be expressed in the context of a one-man, one-woman marital relationship. That is true from Genesis to Revelation. No question that's true. But if you become so adamant about that that then you shut off people from the LGBT community, let's say, you're not, you're not going to have anything to do with them. You're not going to have any conversation. And, 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 and you're just going to say, they're all going to hell, okay? then that is going to be very abrasive. That is going to be, again, tr- uh, some elements of truth, but, but there needs to be the grace. And we're going to get to this later in the series. The way Jesus dealt with the woman caught in adultery, sexual sin, he said, neither do I condemn you, grace. Go and sin no more, truth. You see? He could have said, you know, I know these men are meeting needs in your life, and so I, I kind of give you a little pass. I give you a pass just... Go try to find another one in the name of grace. No, he said, you are in sin. Adultery is sin. But I don't condemn you. I offer forgiveness and healing at the heart level. And I think that's a beautiful example of both grace and truth. Great, great question. Because, guys, this is what we've got to wrestle with in our culture today. With all the stuff going on, we have got to be people of both truth and grace. So, Father, we thank you today for your great love for us. We thank you today, God, that you are a loving God, that you meet us at the heart level. Thank you that in the name of love, you you don't compromise truth. You are willing to have this woman face the sin of her failed relationships and the immorality of her current one. But God, you offered her the living water. You're the source. Lord, we praise you for being the one and the only one who can satisfy and quench our thirst. If you're here today or watching online and you need to receive Christ, you don't have that relationship with Jesus. Just right now, I invite you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my heart and I receive you as my forgiver and the leader of my life. Come into my life and take control. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. God, give me a peace and a contentment that my heart longs for. Listen, if you prayed that prayer or you need help in praying it, I encourage you to just go to somebody that you know. Come up to me as we close the service or somebody you know. Email me or contact me because we want to help you have that relationship. Many of you today, maybe you are a believer, but the Holy Spirit is highlighting that there have been some ways in which you've been trying to get life and love and satisfaction and fulfillment in leaky vessels you right now just to turn from that, repent of that, admit that, confess that, and just hand it to the Lord. Just just hand it over to Him. He is so patient. He is so patient to meet us where we are when we're honest. He says He's he's near to those who call upon Him in truth. You've got to call upon Him in truth. You've got to be truthful. You can't pretend. But if you're truthful, He says He comes near He'll meet you. And so right now, some of you, maybe just you need to do some repenting. 
say, Lord, I admit that I've been looking for life there. And I want to just repent of that. And then thank him that he is the one who can go to the core of those longings. I want us to quietly stand. I'd like our prayer team to take your places. I just want to encourage you quickly, get out of your seat and go to somebody for prayer if you need it right now. Or grab a friend that you're sitting next to. Maybe come to the front here, kneel at the altar and just just begin to just surrender afresh to the Lord. Or just to confess, God, I want you to be my life. I want you to be the one that I look to. God, I'm not doing it as I should, but I ask you to give me the grace to begin to look to you as my source. So if you need prayer, just begin to make your way now. All over the room. Prayer team, get your spots. Altars open. You can pray with somebody on the prayer team. You can grab a friend you know if you prefer that. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just ask you now. Let us seal the deal in our spirits today. Let us not leave with unfinished business. Oh, Lord, I thank you today again that your conviction is always to lead to refreshment. Conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to refreshment. God, thank you for being such an awesome God. 